Take your Bible, please, and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We'll read this portion of Scripture that we started last week. If you're uh, new to Heritage, we uh, take a book of the Bible and we plow through it uh, verse by verse as best we can, leading out the, the meaning for us, and uh, we are in this passage of Scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 8 and reading through verse 15. So hear the word of the Lord, pray for yourself that it would be attended by the power of the Holy Spirit as we seek to learn what we need to today. Paul says, I desire that in every place men should pray. Men should pray. Lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, all that women, all, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair, and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Father, it is with a, a humble heart that we always approach your word. We know that there is something there for each one of us today. While we will, while we will take a particular portion of the scripture, let it speak to us, primarily the men in the congregation today. Lord, there is a word for all of us and for each of us individually. So, Father, we do what we're commanded to do. We pray, lifting holy hands unto you, asking you to lead us, asking you to apply the gospel of Jesus Christ to our own hearts today, not only the justification that I pray most of us, if not all of us, have received in this room today, but also now the working out of that in our sanctification until you come for us or we go to you and we are glorified. So, Father, I thank you for this and pray now that you would bless us even as we study through your word. God, give us hearing hearts and, and responsive wills that we might do according to your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's remind ourselves of what Paul is doing in this passage of Scripture. Again, if you go back to uh, chapter 1, you're going to discover, as we have going through this, that the Apostle Paul talks to Timothy as an elder at the church of Ephesus. So the first thing right out of the chute he's going to say is, correct those who are teaching false doctrine. And then he goes into this this marvelous phrase that, that I hope I can come back to at the end of this time, 
You see, no matter where we are, we, we all, I hope, can relate to the words of, Tim, uh, of Paul when he said, but to me, the chief of sinners, this grace was given. And so we seek that, the power of the gospel to save the worst of sinners. And then in chapter 2, the priority of prayer. We've already talked about that, and we come back to that for the men today. And then a passion for missions, and then the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ as our only mediator and redeemer. Now, in this passage of Scripture, we're talking about the preservation of biblical identities of men and women in the church. And all of this, again, is spoken to Timothy as an elder of the church. And when we come through this passage of Scripture, which we will eventually, and then we get specifically to the qualifications of the leaders in the local church, both then and now, here's what he comes to at the end of this entire passage before he launches into, again, some corrections about the local church. He says, look, here's why I'm doing this, Timothy. And we could say, look, heritage, this is why we're going through this. This is why the Apostle Paul's words are so important. He says, I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, he says, so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Well, what is that? He tells us, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground or the buttress of the truth. So Paul is telling us how we are to operate as the church of Jesus Christ. You know what he does in this passage of Scripture? Now, as I read this, I read it last week. I will read it, Lord willing, this next week because it all goes together as we learn what Paul is trying to tell us here. But every time that he talks about, and I want you to mark this down. We're going to be looking at a, a number of Scriptures right here at the get-go because of the importance. I taught about this last week, and I encourage you, if you've not had a, a chance, go back, because that's foundational for this week and for next week and the, for the following weeks about men and women and their relationships in marriage, in the home, and in the church. And every time, just about every time, that one of the New Testament writers deals grapples with an issue in the church concerning leadership, and also we might say concerning marriage and the home, he always takes us back to God's intent for man and woman from the very beginning. Now again, I'm not going to go back and review everything that I said last week. One of the things that I wanted you to see is that God has a specific intent, a purpose for men and women in general, in marriage, in the home, and in the church. And he bases it, he bases it on creation. And let me just say it like this, pre-fall. And I'm going to come back to that and why that's important. This is one of the most striking, stunning statements in our culture today, in the church. 
maybe just our culture, I don't know, but I would say it's global. Paul says, I don't permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. We're not going to get to an exposition of that particular saying, that statement today. We're going to save that because we're still laying the groundwork. Here's what Paul says. He takes it right back to creation, pre-sin, pre-fall. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. Folks, one of, the, one of the best things that I could say to you, let's go back to this, in terms of dealing with situations around you, problems that you're having, having in the home, in your marriage, in the church, any kind of problem, don't ever start with your problem and then try to figure out God. That's going to take you to frustration. I promise you that. Always start with what God has revealed and then work from that back to whatever problem you're going through. Let's look at another statement on this. Jesus. Now, this was a fascinating thing where the enemies of Jesus were coming to him and they were going to try to trip him up. So what do they go to? They go to something that they figure is going to be really, really easy to trip him up in. The subject of marriage, more specifically, the subject of divorce. And so they ask the question. This is just a lead-in to what he said. Lord Jesus, is, is it okay for a man to divorce his woman for any cause at all? And what does he take them to? The same thing that Paul takes us to in that thorny passage, so-called, in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I like the way he phrases this. Now, he was not putting them down. He was asking a legitimate question. Guys, you've got the Torah right in front of you. Have you not read? And he takes them back to creation. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them, watch this, male and female? And, and this is a key understanding. I, I talked about this more expansively last week. And the two, and I'm, I'm skipping a few verses, but this is the ultimate goal. He's saying, here's your answer for divorce, that God from the beginning created them male and female. He brought them together, and the two are supposed to become one flesh. Pre-sin, pre-fall. Let's go to another passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And he says it here. Again, the Corinthians, uh, they're, they were kind of a mess in a lot of different ways. And so he's trying to get them to see some certain things about relationships in the church. And here, here Paul gives the principle that we're talking about today that all of us, men and women all, young and old, need to hear. And it's the principle of headship. I talked about this last week. That may be a term that you're, you're not really that familiar with. I hope you are by the end of this time because it's all over Scripture from the very beginning to the very end. So Paul says this. Now imagine that he's saying this to you and to me here at Heritage today. I want you to understand and, and look at the different ways that he's saying this, that the head of every man is Christ. When we go on in this sermon to talk about what men should be doing and the men 
or the head and that kind of thing, sometimes there wells up this attitude that, wow, the men don't have to answer to anybody. We all have to answer to someone. And so he's reminding us that this principle of headship starts with the head of every man is Christ. And in my headship, how I work that out as a man, I look to Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. There's the principle we're talking about right here in terms of leadership in the home, leadership in the marriage, leadership in the church. And then he goes on to show, I mentioned this last week, the incredible picture that submission should never be a problem. It wasn't for Jesus. It wasn't for, for the whole Trinity. The head of Christ is God. Jesus said, I always do what the Father wants me to do. There's no problem. He didn't have a hang-up with submission because he knew that even in the Trinity, there was this beautiful picture of perfect equality in worth and value and yet difference in function. And so he said it like this. For Now, look what he goes back to. What does Paul go back to here in the Corinthian church? Same thing he does to the Ephesian church. And Timothy is the leader. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for the man. I, I said this last week, and I believe it with all of my heart, that every problem... In your marriage, in your home, in this church, in the church, could be solved overnight. If we not only heard, but understood and obeyed the principles that God, through Paul, is laying down. Now, let me just give you some insight into this whole thing of headship. Why do we prefer, and I believe we do, why do we prefer the concept of headship over leadership? We're going to talk about leadership in a minute, men. But why is headship a better word? It's right here. Women can and should lead in, in their sphere of what God has created them to do, okay? But a woman can never be the head. And that's why this passage is so important. The head, the, the head of every, Christ is the head of every man. I can never be the head of Christ. And so we have to realize that that term is incredible. Now, here's what it means. And, and, and I have to give these caveats. I, I know that you guys get it, okay? But if you go out and you run into a friend and uh, they ask you, because they know you go to this church, and they ask you, well, what did the preacher preach about today? And you say, the principle of headship. Headship? Well, I don't know about that. Aren't, aren't you guys egalitarians? Don't you believe in equality? And all the rest of that. And hopefully you can help them to see that this in no Listen, men. Headship in no way speaks to superiority or better or inferiority. That I'm better and I'm boss. Listen to me. Headship speaks of an incredible servant leadership in the marriage, in the home, 
and in the church. Let's look at it. I told you I was going to hammer you with a couple of verses right up front, and we're going to look at these. Okay, here it's used again, and I don't know. Maybe, maybe you've got this. Maybe you've read it so many times, but isn't it amazing that when something is brought out like this, you look at several scriptures that all coordinate, and you'll, you'll see what, what, what is being spoken of. The husband is the head of the wife. But remember, who's our head, men? Who's our head? Christ. So you're the head of your wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, you're not the Savior of your wife in terms of saving her from her sins, but there is a certain sense in which you are Christ to your wives. Husband, love your wives. How? As your head loves you. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Is there any boss in that? Am I the boss of my wife? I'm the head of my wife. And if I am doing what I, I am supposed to be doing under Christ, then I am giving servant leadership, sacrificial servant leadership to her. Why? So that he might sanctify her, the church. And in just such a way, husbands, what are you doing your goal is to sanctify, to see your wife brought to holiness, cleansing her with what? The washing of the water with the word so that he might present to himself the church. Now, this is Jesus. We're loving our wives as Christ loved the church in all her splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing so that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Now, here he's get, Paul gets real practical here. He says, look, guys, you know how to treat your body. You work out, you pamper it, you rest, you pamper it, you rest some more, all the rest. Of it. What he's saying is he who loves his, his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own body. He nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Now, that's a normal person. You can probably say, I know people who hate their bodies. I'm talking about across the board. Men love themselves. And guess what? We're to love our Christ, our, our, our wives, not only as Christ loved the church, but as we also love ourselves. Now, I could probably get an amen. We could sing the closing song and go home. But we've got more to do because I want to lay out what Paul says. This is the introduction. So Paul tells us some things that are to be done in the church. We're not going to get to a lot of the whys. We're going to talk about one problem that's coming up. Because man was created to be the head. The woman was created to be, I'm going to use the biblical word, the help meet. I said last week, strong helper. Again, not inferior, it's a difference in function. She's worth everything that the man is worth, but she is to be the helpmeet in the church. By the way, this is what, I'm not going to get a lot into this, you can look this up. This is what's called, and what we hold to in this church, the complementarian view. That men and women complement each other, equal in worth, not equal in function. In the home or in the church, that's the complementarian view. The egalitarian view is equal in all respects, equal in all respects. And we reject that as, as being a non-biblical view. Okay, 
So we go back to creation. God created man. He created woman out of man. What did God say after he looked at it? He saw it pre-fall, pre-sin, and what was his assessment of what he had just created? Very good, and that's very good. And what I've just read to you, let me just throw this out. What spirit-led woman would not willingly submit to a man who sees the proper view of headship? And do you know where you start learning it? Where you need to start learning it? When you're, when you're Matthias's age. And, and when you're the age of you young men over, over here, again, we're going to talk about that. What does it mean to be a leader and, and a teacher of your whole family? So what happened? What happened? I said all of this is pre-falled. Here's, here's what happened. Just in a nutshell, we, we're probably going to come back to this, but here's what happened. When sin came into the world, now watch this. Please hear this. Shake out the cobwebs. Sin did not create headship or help meet ship. It damaged it. It threw it into chaos. It was a disaster. And I'm, you know, I've, I've tried to figure this out. Maybe it's a both end. But was the curse that came upon man and woman, their headship and their helpership were damaged? Was that because God cursed it, or was that just the, the natural consequences of the curse that came from the sin? I, I, probably a little bit of both. But here's what happened. Headship was corrupted. Helpership was corrupted. The woman To the woman, God said, he said several things, but I'm, I'm looking at this particular thing. Your desire shall be for your husband. And somebody, just a casual reading of that, say, well, yeah, 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 her desire will be for her. No, it's, it's not that. That word that is being used, if you go to chapter 4, verse 7, I've got it in here, is the exact same word, exact same concept for sin trying to take over Cain before he killed his brother. So here, here's what happened as a result of the, of the fall. The helpership was corrupted. Your desire shall be to control your husband. And there are a number of different ways. We won't get until, until next week. We'll, we'll talk about some of this. But through just control, manipulation, different kinds of things. But there is, there is something that's happening both ways. Rather than headship, followership, working beautifully, one flesh, you're going to be, you're going to be pitted against each other. Women, you're going to try to control the man that God's given you for your purposes. And guess what, guys? Different word here, little nuance. You're going to try your best to be the boss of your wife. You're going to try to rule her. That's headship and followership or helpership after the fall. Do you hear what I'm saying? The problem is not with headship. The problem is with sin, and so we need to know that. Now, ladies, next week, please come, since I already gave you a warning, okay? All right, guys, let me just say this to some of you ladies who are hearing these words like headship, and I, I know because uh, 
because I've, listen, I've been a pastor and I've seen the most horrible, horrible situations. You say, oh, no, you haven't. Yes, I have. Headship and followership or helpership taken to the extreme, even to the point of murder in two different, two different cases of people that I knew well, where when the guy couldn't control his wife, he killed her. I, I don't know personally of, of, of the other way around that, but here's what I'm saying. Some of you have lived through the most horrible exper- experiences, situations in your childhood. And I recognize that, and I am deeply, deeply sorry that you have had to go through that. A lot of you have. And so you're bringing baggage. Even as you hear this, you're bringing baggage into your worldview. The, the grid through which you see headship and followership is seen through the baggage that you're bringing into your relationship. But here's what I've learned from some of my own past. I've learned that even, okay, men, you might say, I did not have a good example growing up. Don't we learn by contrast as well as by comparison? Can't you look at the bad example that you had and say, look, I respect and honor my father, but he, didn't, he, never, ta- he never taught me how to be a man. He never talked to me about these things. Can't you learn from contrasting? Can't you look at the perfect father and learn from his word? I'm telling you, when we got, Jan and I got married in 1973, there weren't a lot of books on marriage, his needs, her needs. There was one book that I I was handed, and then we went to an early uh, family life seminar a few years after we were married. And so we had one counseling session before we got married. So I basically had to just take this book and get with mature men and say, would you you help me? Because I I don't want to do what happened in my family, twice divorced, a lot of back, I'm not going to get into it. I respect my parents who are now both with the Lord. But there was just a lot. All of us have stuff to overcome. Don't let your baggage keep you from God's truth. And that's what I'm saying to you. And you, you can start. Okay, all over again. Let's look at the notes. I'm on the first point now. That's all the introduction. We're going to rip and run. Men, put your seatbelts on. Okay, here we go. The role, behavior, and attitude of men in the church and the home, verses 8 through 12. What are we supposed to be doing, men, in the church? By the way, if you're not doing it in the home, you shouldn't be doing it in the church. In other words, you look at the leadership requirements, they always say, look at him, see what he's doing in the home. Is he he a one-woman kind of man? Is he treating his, all the rest, is he managing his family? Those are always requirements, so it's a both end. It's not an either or. And Paul says this, and I wrote down these words, and they're all straight from the Bible. If, and I'm going, I'm going to assume, men, that you are this, okay? If you're not, I pray that you will just repent. We'll have a chance to do You can repent all the way through this. I repented all the way through the preparation of this sermon. <laughs> so men, every man in this room, if you are a blood-bought, born-again 
bought with the blood of Jesus, born again to a new way of life. Let's add Luke 9.23 to that. Self-denying, cross-bearing. Let's add Ephesians 5.18 to that. Spirit-filled man, you will desire the responsibility to practice headship. What does that mean? It means three things. I, I've, this is not new with me. Robert Lewis, other people have read about, have written about this. Tim Challey's great article on this. But basically, it means here's what we're supposed to do as, as heads: to lead, to provide for, and to protect the woman. We will study what Christ does for His church, and then we will put it into practice. A word about prayer. It says right here in verse eight: I desire that men in every place should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling, a word about prayer. Men who are mature, who, okay, let me say it like this, men who understand, and by the way, couldn't we all say, I'll be my first to raise my hand, we are learning, we're on a journey, we're on a road. Has anybody arrived at learning, at being the proper head, or, or let me put it another way, mature masculinity, We will seek to lead out in prayer in every place. This is first speaking of the church. Paul modeled this. He wrote to to Ephesus, the church, in the book of Ephesians. He wrote to them and he modeled praying for them. And here's what he's saying in terms of the church. All must pray, but corporate, public prayer is to be led by men. What does that grow out of? Men, let me just be as direct as I can. That grows out of you leading your family in prayer. That means it grows out of you leading your wife in prayer. Can your wife initiate prayer sometimes? Yes. But you as the head ought to be the primary one to lead out in prayer. Guys, I know this is hard. It's hard because we, are, we, we tend to be, well, we're either going to be one of two things and not be the proper head. We're going to be overbearing, domineering, or we're going to be insecure and passive. And when it comes sometimes to leading our wives in prayer, many times, most of the men that I know, we line up on this side, insecure and passive. All I'm saying is men in every place ought to pray. The last thing I'm trying to do is put any man in here under condemnation. The good thing about it is I know that any time you can start right from where you are and you can repent, you can confess to your wife, I haven't been doing this and I need to do it. And it may be no more than just a minute prayer or a 30-second prayer, but initiate praying with your wife. And then in the home, we'll come to that in a minute. What does it mean to lift holy hands without anger or quarreling? You, you notice that sometimes when we worship, when we sing, sometimes I lift my hands. Now, if you want a really, really, really funny uh, little video about that, Google Tim Hawkins hand raising. 
and it, it, it's, it's hilarious. I'm, we're not going to talk about that. It's, it's interesting that that's transferred from prayer to singing. It, okay, so what, is, what should the posture be? I looked it up. There are so many different postures in the Bible. Raising the hands, standing, sitting, kneeling, looking up, bowed down, laying flat on the ground, pounding the chest. The key here, and, and while the physical posture is, is good, is okay, and it, it's indicated much more. And Jonathan perfectly illustrated it by quoting Psalm 24. The hand, the doing, shows the posture of your heart. Who may stand before the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who is that ultimately? I don't, I don't know if you recognize this, but a lot of times when Jonathan makes these little comments, are you listening? Because he's giving you some great theology. There's only one who can stand in the holy place, and his name is Jesus. But if he's my head, and if I'm to see what he's doing and try to do it, then I need as much as possible to have clean hands and a pure heart. I'm already forgiven. There is no condemnation. But I, I need to make sure my hands are holy and my heart is pure. Let me give you a couple of just little pictures of how that looks. Remember the parable about the two guys standing before the Lord? They're both praying, kind of. First guy was a Pharisee, uh, those Pharisees. Who, who would that be today? Maybe a preacher in a Baptist church. And so he's standing at the temple, he's standing before the Lord, and he's, he's praying, Lord, and look at his attitude. His heart is not right. He's looking down his nose at other people, and that's what he's praying. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like fill in the blank. That is not a picture of clean hands and a pure heart. This is a picture of clean hands and a pure heart when you stand afar and you don't even, you're not even looking up, you're pounding your breast. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Are you clean? Are you set apart unto the Lord? First Peter 1.15, he who called you is holy and so you are to be holy. That's a, it's a growing thing. Sanctification, becoming holy is a growing thing. We haven't made it yet, but are you seeking that? Are you right with God and are you right with others? That's what clean hands, pure heart has to do with. So it, it has to do with forgiveness. When you're praying, do you forgive? Do you have aught against somebody that you just haven't let it go? There is, there is this thing that happens in the whole process, not of salvation, but a relationship here with, with God, that there's something going on where you're going to have a difficult time sensing forgiveness from God. If you're, if you're not forgiving other, other people, there, there, there's some, something else. Um, check your heart. Now, again, th this is important. We, we need to get to this. I, I love it when... Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, and he comes to Peter. Peter says, not my feet. Jesus says, hey, if I don't, you don't have any part with me. He said, okay, and then he goes overboard. All of me, wash all of me. And he says, Peter, you don't understand. You have been justified. Your, your basic salvation is taken care of, but every day you need to wash your feet. That's just that confessing, that, that constant cleansing that God gives you. And 
So that's, that's what we're talking about, guys, when we pray. We're to pray. We're to take the lead in corporate prayer, public prayer, but we're to take the lead in our homes. Have I made that clear? Okay. And we're to do it with the right heart attitude, which is a lot of confessing. Be merciful to me, the sinner. Your prayer should not be a time of preaching to your wife, nor hers to you. And she certainly should pray. It's just that you will initiate in all of that. Now, let's go on. We're here on the next to the last point. Wow, we have moved. A word about teaching and exercising authority. Now, you see this here. Look at it. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over the man. What he's basically saying in negating this, now this is primarily public, the public meeting of the church, but the state, listen, the statement that a woman is not to do that is a statement that men are to teach and exercise authority in the church and also in the home. So, headship lived out. Let me give you three things. I've given you enough room for you to kind of put some space. What does headship lived out look like? And, oh, my, I looked at a number of different things, different. Robert Lewis, Jim quoted him last week in in the men's meeting, and uh, I, I looked up one of his resources. He's got 25 different ways that you can lead in the home. And I thought, why don't I just copy that? No, I'm not going to do that. But we're going to summarize. And I'm not going to get to everything. Some of you will probably be able to think of some other things and, and share them with me, share them with other people. But there are three ways that your headship will be borne out in the home and in the church. Number one, leadership. That's the first one, leadership. Second one, provision. So drop down from your leadership. If you're taking notes, if you're not, don't worry. Uh, Then, well, yeah, worry. Hopefully you've got a good memory because this is not just a sermon where I'm trying to entertain you. I'm trying to give you the Word of God so that you can walk as God wants you to walk and we can walk as a church. That's what this is all about. And so the first one is leadership. Second one is is provision. The third one is protection. Leadership, provision, protection. They kind of overlap, but let's look at all of these things. Like I said, Jim reminded us last week, and I'll tweak it. This was last uh, a Sunday night. The men had a meeting. He spoke. He, he used Robert Lewis, and he said, guys, accept responsibility, and were you there? What's, what's the other side of that? Reject, come on, passivity. Don't be passive. Say it, passivity. Okay, I'm going to tweak it. Headship. Headship accepts responsibility. It rejects, I wrote it down here, hostile domination and Lazy, indifferent passivity. And, and those, are, those are the two ditches, guys, we're going to fall into sometimes within the same five minutes. Passive, aggressive. 
I know a lot of guys, I've been there, I've done this. I'll just let something go, let something go, let something go. Passive, 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 passive. And then all of a sudden it builds up. And what do you do? You blow up. You dominate. This is the way it's going to be. So you want to, headship avoids both of those ditches that you fall in. Either the domination, this is the way it's going to be, that kind of thing, or the, the passivity. So you accept responsibility and you reject hostile domination and indifferent passivity. You know, one of the things that I've, I've discovered is, uh, wow, and we're going to get to, the, it's the last verse that we'll look at. It's 1 Timothy 3, 7. Understand your wives. Live with your wife. Don't worry about writing that down. I'm going to come to that in a minute. But one of the things over 50 years this December of marriage, trying to learn, trying to learn how Jan is wired and what I need to do as the head when we have an argument. Okay? Believe it or not, we've had arguments. And I have learned that I can reject responsibility and I can turn around and be passive. But here's one of the things that it means for men. It means that we initiate the act of reconciliation. Okay, guys, are you right? Hey, by the way, wives, no elbows. Okay, this is just, this is basic stuff. And, and you learn this and sometimes you... you you know, it's three steps forward, two steps back. Every guy has been there. But please, and I've, I've learned this. I, I will never forget this, this vividly early in our marriage when we had a blow up. And I'm going to tell you that, that she was wrong. Now, she's not here to defend herself. She's, she's coming back from a trip. But so I, I started, the Lord started kind of dealing with me, and, and I started just, it was sanctified thinking, application of the word. So I started thinking, okay, what percentage was she wrong? Was, did I have any wrong at all? Yeah, maybe 1%. She was 99% wrong. Okay, then Marty, why don't you go over there? Why don't you take care of your 1%? So that, God, you can take care of her 99%. And I walked over. She had her back to me. She was at the sink. And I could almost feel the heat from her. And I walked over. I did not feel like doing this. But I put my arms around her. And she struggled. Struggled against me. And I, I just held her. And that, that act... Maybe all women aren't wired like this, but that one act, she, I could feel her, I could feel the tension melt. And I said, because fortunately somebody had taught me this principle, and I thought, I can just go ahead and pray for mercy and grace. And I said, honey, my one goal in life after following Jesus is to help you be everything you were created to be by him. And I love you, and I'm sorry. And it, 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 was, it, was, it was just, it was amazing. Now, does it always work like that? No. If I have any shred in my voice that 
well, I was wrong, but so were you, you know, that kind of thing. It doesn't usually work, but I'm just saying that, men, we need to, one of the greatest things we can do in leadership is to initiate. And that, that's one of the biggest areas, I think, in the relationship. Second thing, we provide for spiritually, emotionally, physical needs. Even if your wife works outside the home, which Proverbs 31 indicates that a woman can be a really successful business person while she's still managing the home. That's pretty amazing. But even if that's true, what is said in the garden, I believe that even though the fall impacted it, is what God really intended. The man in the field, the woman, raising children. Now, was all of that corrupted by the fall? Am I going to get into this and tell me what I'm supposed to do in this particular situation? But let me just say, I'm not, but let me just say this. The curse didn't twist the natural places. It just made them difficult and frustrating. And so, men, we need to initiate whatever that looks like for your particular relationship and family. We need to initiate. Things like the, the, the income, savings, retirement, your will. Please, I, I do enough funerals that I, please make sure. Don't wait on your wife to initiate. Men, initiate doing a will. I did something because I felt guilty. Really, it was a good thing that I felt this guilt when I was preparing this sermon, knowing that Jan was out of town this last week because I wrote it down, savings, will, and funeral arrangements. Oh, we have been blessed with relative good health and all the rest of that, and it's easy to just put that inevitable time, unless the Lord comes back, we always say that, and we put off making funeral arrangements. So I did something Friday. I went to a funeral home, and I walked in, and the person said, can I help you? And I said, yep, I need to prearrange services for my wife and me. Well, I can help you. And gave me a packet. I didn't realize all of the things that are, that are important to be done, all the decisions that need to be made prior to that time. And I, I haven't told Jan yet. She, I think she's going to respond like she did when I hugged her, which puts a really big smile on my face, okay, because she's going to be, honey, I'm just so glad because we've been talking about it, and she's been gently nudging me, don't you think? And every time I, I've done so many funerals, and I've, I've seen this when people are unprepared, and they, they, get, they get through it. They, they do. God is good. But boy, what a load. I could take off my bride, provide for her emotional needs by doing that. Here's something else you can do, men, to provide for. You can help her make sure, you don't have to do everything around the house, but as the head, help her make sure everything gets done. Sit down and, and just work with her and with the kids of how you distribute household responsibilities. Make sure you initiate time for her and time for every family member. These are just so practical. I jotted them down. Um, and, and by the way, unless you're perfect men, which you're not, 
seek her input and her counsel. You don't, little things, daily things, yeah. She has authority, you have authority, you can do those things, but especially in big decisions, sit down and talk and listen to your wife. And one more thing on the provision, follow through on your commitments, okay? Third thing, biblical headship protects. I know you'd take a bullet for your wife. I know that, you guys. But here's the question. Not that you're willing to lay down your life for your wife, but are you willing to live for her every day? I was reading an article by John Piper, and he, he really just, he, he put it, <laughs> I thought it was really a great little comment. He said, look, okay, protect. He was talking about protection. He said, if you hear a sound in the other part of the house in the middle of the night, don't say, this is an egalitarian marriage. I went last night, you go tonight. Don't do that. It's not. It's complementary, and that means as the head, you will get up, and you will search it out, and then you will determine whether it's a fight or flight situation. That's probably not going to happen, and the daily is probably going to happen a lot more. Be alert. Please, be alert for, for your wife and for your kids. Be alert to and get rid of and do not expose your family to spiritual dangers. And if you're reading through the one-year Bible plan and you've just read through Genesis and you came to Abraham and you came to Isaac, putting their wives into an unprotected place that, that potentially had disastrous, disastrous effects, not only then but for all eternity. Help your children from making harmful choices. And your wife too. Always while you're doing it, treat with tenderness and respect. Please don't, and we have been through this as a church, we've seen it. Never objectify your wife or kids. I'm, I'm just going to leave it at that. You can come up afterwards. What did you mean by that? I'll tell you. And protecting may not mean, all of you have heard about, or maybe you've seen over and over again, the Will Smith, Chris Rock thing. You seen that? Chris Rock is making fun of Will Smith's wife. What's Will Smith do? Popsing. Is that protecting her? It was protecting her vanity. Maybe the real protection is that he should have kept her from being there in the first place. I don't know. But protection means that you'll help to guard her honor, not her vanity. And please, teach, teach your kids as part of the protection. And don't think they're too young. Some of them are, oh, they're too young to hear something like this. My eighth grade granddaughter who goes to a Christian school, came home a week or so ago and said to her mom, Mom, one of my best friends said she's bi. 
Christian school. I, I hope they're teaching the right things. Eighth grade, and probably kids are learning what that means at a much, much younger age. And that's why we go back and teach what God says so that they're not listening to the media to instruct them about that situation. They're not even letting a Supreme Court justice instruct them on what is the meaning. See, at some point, if your kids don't ask, you need to sit down with your child so that you can say, son, this is what it looks like to be a man. And then together with your wife, this is what it looks like, sweetie, to be a woman. Help them navigate the insanity. And that's what, that's what we've got around us, moral insanity. Sin is moral insanity. Help them to navigate that by protecting your children. Well, I said I was going to end with this because it, it bears repeating. First, first Peter chapter 3. Well, th- this is, let me go on. We'll, we'll come to that next week. Husbands, here it is. Live with your wives according to knowledge, one version says, in an understanding way, showing honor. That word, at least one of the meanings, is it means value, the incredible value to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, don't take that as meaning inferior. says right here in 1 Timothy that she was subject to temptation. And here, here's the picture of this. And some people have used this as a put-down kind of thing. It's not that. Well, live with your wives. She's the weaker vessel after all. Here's what it means. You treat your wife, vessel, you treat your wife as a fine piece of china. Treat her with that kind of honor. You don't put, at least I've learned this, a fine piece of china or a crystal glass, you don't put it in the dishwasher. You don't scrub it with the Brillo pad. Honey, no, 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 no. Be gentle. You don't treat your wife like a plastic coffee cup. You just wad up, throw away. That's what Peter is getting it. Treat her with respect. And why? We go back to the very beginning that we talked about so that your prayers may not be hindered. There is something growing out of a heart of a man who refuses to do that that will hinder your prayers to Almighty God. Paul said this to me I was the chief of sinners, grace was shown. Guys, if, if all you're walking out of here with today is a big bucket full of guilt, that's not the intended purpose. It's the conviction that will lead to repentance. If you're not saved, that's an easy fix. Lord, I repent of my sin against you. I cry out for your salvation. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can do that right now. You don't have to change geography from where you're sitting to down front. You can do that anytime. 
But the other part of that is that if it, this has pressed you down in some ways, just like preparing it pressed me down, I know that the grace of God is sufficient that I can begin anew. That I can do those things that maybe I have left undone. And even though I'm closer to the end than some of you are, there is still so much that I have to learn. By God's grace, my wife and I can build a great and God-honoring marriage. Family, relating to children and grandchildren, and to see it worked out in the church. Father, I thank you for uh, your word. I thank you for the, uh, wow, Lord, the, the, the way that you tell us to preserve the biblical identities of men and women. Uh, Lord, you know that to the best of my limited ability, I've tried to share with this, your people, uh, what the word says. We will continue to do so with you willing, of course. And I pray now that you would help us to respond in the appropriate way. That if we know that we've been letting something go, that we would re-up, renew a commitment, follow through with that commitment. Perhaps if someone came in today and they're not truly saved, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that they would repent and profess Christ as Lord. So, Father, whatever you want to do with us, we are yours. And I pray now that as we absorb this truth and live it out, that you would help us as a church uh, to glorify you in everything that we do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.